0: The Great Commission isn't just go make sure people are saved. That's part A. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. The mission does not stop when someone accepts Christ. The mission continues as these people are discipled and grow in their faith and then continue to propagate that faith in ever-increasing circles. And so that's one of the things that we're working on now is to help with the discipleship part of things. The opportunity is amazing, and it's an exciting time to be a part of the church.
1: Welcome to another episode of On the Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world. I'll be your host for this episode. My name is Jared. I'm so excited today to be joined by Dr. Steve White, who is the co founder and CEO of 21C International. So, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
0: That's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Really, our goal in the podcast is to step back from our perspective of what's happening in the church in America and start to get an understanding of what God is doing in His church around the world. So, last week, we spoke with Dr. Todd Johnson, and he shared with us some of the research that he's done and that their team has done at the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, just around sort of first this global shift that's happened in Christianity from Christianity mainly being in the global north, sort of the Western world as we know it, to the global south, which is Africa, Asia, South America, Latin America. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those numbers today in our conversation. We're going to talk especially about the pastoral training side of things. But I want to start by talking about your experience, because while C International is just in its first few years of ministry. Your experience in international ministry and missions definitely goes a lot further back than that. So you have experience in pastoral ministry, in the local church. You traveled as a musical missionary with the Continentals, You even grew up on the mission field while your parents were medical missionaries in Nigeria. And so I want to start there, actually, if we can. So tell us a little bit about your experience growing up in the mission field. What was that like? Man,
0: the short version is it was great. Moved to Nigeria uh, when I was six, and then lived there basically for elementary. I moved back to the U.S. just in time to go to junior high at, at age thirteen. So really, what you think of as the formative years, my elementary school was growing up in Nigeria. It was incredible uh, for a variety of reasons. I was I was surrounded by missionaries and nationals, people who were absolutely committed to the cause of Christ. And so I just kind of grew up surrounded by that ethos, that culture, that environment where, well, what else are you going to do? The cause of Christ is so important. That's what you give your life to. And so that was just sort of an underlying foundation. I don't think I understood fully until much later in life. But I had a variety of experiences with the kids, you know, playing soccer, we called it football at the time, out in dirt fields with the national kids and uh, to going to school with other missionary kids and growing up with all of the adults from both multiple nationalities. And so my exposure to the cause of Christ and to intercultural ministry or cross-cultural ministry, Uh, that that was just part of the way I grew up. So that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then it didn't stop there because then as a young person, you traveled the world with a group called the Continentals. So tell me a little bit about that. What was that like? Right.
0: So back in the 70s and 80s in particular uh, in the U.S., there was such a thing as contemporary Christian music. It was relatively new at the time, and one of the newer ministries that was out there, one of the non the, the parachurch organizations, was a group called the Continentals. This group collected young people who were musicians, vocalists and singers, and technicians, and would put us together in groups of twenty five to thirty and then would send us all over the country and all over the world bringing the gospel through what at the time was considered contemporary Christian music. So each group traveled for about three months and then would stop and would reconstitute and do it again. And all told, I think I was on the road in those three-month chunks for a total of about three years, and in that time traveled to about three dozen countries, partnered with the Continentals, with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and the Jesus film. So in that, had a chance to take not only the music, but also the Jesus film. In my case, it was into Kenya. Partnered one year with World Vision and had an opportunity to go and help raise funds for uh, the work of World Vision scattered throughout the world and visited their projects. And it was a phenomenal exposure to the work of God around the world, Uh, We were in South America and all over the US and Canada. We were in Europe and Eastern Europe back when there was, it was strongly Eastern Europe. The Soviet Union was still the Union. Africa, Asia. We traveled the world and it was just amazing to see what God was doing to visit churches in all of those different places, interact with not only the musicians that I was traveling with, but also the. The pastors and the leaders and the people from congregations around the world, again, feeding for me into that idea of what God is doing globally.
1: And so now as you look back at those years that you spent traveling with the Continentals, can you think of a particular time or experience or story that maybe was really foundational in your outlook of the church or ministry or missions or church growth in general? Can you think of a story along those lines maybe? Probably a couple of things from two different sides of the
0: of the globe, so to speak. One of the things I noticed in the U.S. I don't have a specific story to go with it, but in the U.S. I recognized going from church to church to church, and in my course of time, I performed in hundreds of churches in. 49 of the 50 states. I can't believe I finished and did not hit all 50, but that's a different story. One of the things I noticed was in the U.S., this is back in the predominantly in the 1980s, there was this this amazing sense of we want to be a part of what God's doing. We want to be a part of worship. We want to be a part of what God's doing internationally. It's one of the things that helped the, the Continentals as it's uh, as its base of support as we traveled. At the same time, those churches who really were excited about what was happening and they wanted to be on the cutting edge of ministry, they they also seemed to be—there was a real subtle sense of retrenchment. Uh, and I don't mean that to be cynical or critical. By the 1980s, the church in America was starting to— to figure out what missions globally looked like in a world that was just starting to change. So that at the time, I don't think I was fully aware of what I was seeing, but the U S was kind of doubling down on what it had always done with missions. And that was part of my early introduction to the world of Western missions in its cross-cultural context. Internationally, Again, I wish there was a very specific story. I can give you anecdotes of what we did and stuff, but general impression internationally was wherever we went in the world, people were waking up in a new way to the gospel message. Whether we were kind of surreptitiously sneaking into East Berlin to do an underground concert there and watched people flock to hear Christian music or whether we were in Nairobi, Kenya, and we had to do our concert in a massive field because there were so many people who wanted to come and hear Christian music and come hear about the gospel. While the U S was trying to figure out how best to engage cross-culturally, that was right about the same time everywhere in the world. We traveled, people were increasingly excited and interesting in the message of the gospel. Uh, And, Time after time, we would go to do a concert and be deluged with people who wanted to come and hear not just the music. They wanted to come and hear the gospel. Uh, And worship was deep, and it was life-altering in so many of these places, from concerts in the slums of Brazil to concerts in the underground church in East Berlin. Uh, And wherever we went, the, the the response was amazing. To the Gospel, and so that again, that feeds into my own sort of internal narrative of how people are interacting with the Gospel and what an amazing opportunity we have as people are hungry for the gospel,
1: yeah, definitely, and we got a sense of that receptivity to the gospel in our conversation with Dr. Johnson last week, yeah, that while Christianity may be sort of on the decline in the global north or in Western civilization. The overall trend worldwide is that Christianity is growing and it's growing really, really rapidly in the global South, like in Africa and South America and Asia. And it sounds like maybe that was what you were seeing even several decades ago. So as you're traveling now, maybe even to some of the same areas like in East Africa, Mm -hmm. what are you seeing differently now? What has changed? Is that receptivity and that sort of openness and hunger for the gospel still there? Is anything different now than was previously?
0: Yes, and what we—I I, think—I had the incredible opportunity to be traveling at a time where this this growth of the gospel was in its infancy. Not that the gospel wasn't in all of these places already, anyway, but we saw the beginnings, I think, of that incredible hunger and receptivity to the life-changing message of the gospel. And then in the decades since, what had just begun as real interest has kind of exploded into into something that's exponentially growing. The The people who study these things are telling us staggering numbers of people around the globe— are coming to Christ in in ways that are they're just in, absolutely stunning. So I think I had the privilege of seeing the beginnings of that somehow, uh, and after that, in hindsight now, I'm starting to recognize that's what was happening.
1: Yeah, there really has been explosive growth in the church in the global South in the last century, even just in the last few decades. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of want to shift the conversation now, right, headed into something that I know the team at Twenty One International is super passionate about. Basically, last week, one of the things that we talked about with Dr. Johnson was that formal pastoral training from traditional institutions can't keep up with the pace at which God is calling pastors into ministry in the global South. It's a great problem to have because it comes as so many individuals are choosing to follow Christ. And so there's a greater need for more pastors in small congregations, in rural areas. But the training just can't keep up. So what does training for pastors look like in the global South, as opposed to what we're used to with the U.S. with seminaries and universities and Bible schools, sort of that process of somebody feeling called into ministry, going to get a college education, and then entering vocational ministry. How does it look different maybe in the Global South?
0: I think the difference is probably one of degree more than total quality. One of the things that that I want to be really careful of is, is I talk about the ministry of 21C International and the non-formal training that we do. I don't ever want to come across as somehow critical of the the existing training systems that are already in place. So as you mentioned, in the U.S., in the West, we expect our pastors to go from college to some kind of Bible school or divinity school to, to be educated in an academic setting for the pastoral and leadership role that they have. That's true just about everywhere in the world. There are some amazing seminaries and Bible colleges. There's online courses. There's all kinds of really amazing tools for pastors to be trained in the same way that we do it here in the U S the issue largely is not one of availability and need. It's one of scale and accessibility. So, I was talking to Dr. Philip Wandawa in uh, the Kampala Evangelical School of Theology. He's a he's a Ugandan with a PhD from a seminary in the US and he's just he's absolutely brilliant, personal friend of mine and we were talking about this very thing. And the bottom line he says is while the role of the seminary in training pastors in africa or anywhere in the global south while that role remains critical it will only ever be able to reach the needs of about five percent of the pastors statistics tell us about fifty thousand people a day are being baptized and those same scholars who do all of that kind of stuff they tell us that an average pastor in the world has about 50 people in his congregation or her congregation, depending on where they are. What that means is we need a 1,000 new pastors every day. Bible College, Seminary, the existing models of training pastors simply can't scale up fast enough to train a 1,000 pastors a day. So what that means is we need to look for new ways to equip those who are being pastors. And what's happening then is in the U.S., as our point of comparison, In the U.S., a pastor goes through all of the training, gets a master's degree or whatever, and then becomes a pastor. In most of the world, someone goes out and shares Christ, and then they become a pastor. Without the same kind of strategic lead-up or resourcing or training, they go, they share the gospel. They look around and realize now that people have accepted Christ, there needs to be a church. By default, they become the new pastor. And so... While in the U.S. we do the training on the front end and it's rigorous and academic and appropriate and needed, in most of the world the training is happening after the fact. Pastors all over the world, are they love the Lord, they love their churches, they're absolutely passionate about the call God has on them to be pastors, and they can't access the training that's there. Not that they couldn't find a Bible college or something similar. They're all over the place. But they really have three limiting factors. They can't afford it. Most of the pastors in the world do not get paid to be pastors. And they live at or below the poverty line. So they can't afford to go to a Bible college. They can't get to it. Uh, They're often subsistence farmers or very small business owners. They can't leave their business or their farm long enough to go get some to go to some kind of a class. Even if you worked it all out, the biggest limiting factor is for the most part pastors around the world do not have high school educations. They have third, fourth or fifth grade level educations just because of the cultures they're in, which means even if they went to Bible college, it's like putting someone with an elementary age education into college. The the content, the learning process, the academic rigor is simply not something they're prepared to deal with, and they would not be able to succeed there. Back to the need around the world for new models of how we can equip pastors that does not require a seminary degree in the same way in the West we think of it.
1: So there definitely is still that place for traditional education from seminaries or universities, even in the global South. Mm -hmm. But the scale of what God is doing around the world requires us to look outside of sort of traditional institutional formal training that we're used to maybe in the Western church. Yeah. So what are some other options maybe? I know this is 21C International's big focus in bringing... Non-formal training to pastors, but what are some of the other ways that you guys are approaching this challenge? What are some of the other ideas out there to help bridge the gap and bring more training to pastors in the Global South?
0: It's been fun to, I want to say stumble into some of this, but as I reflect on life experience, we've kind of grown into this, not so much stumbling as we've grown into it and realized in new ways what will work. First, we want to make sure that we are not taking anything away from the more advanced Western-style colleges and seminaries. There's some incredible, spiritually deep, philosophical, theological discussion and in, in, uh, learning coming out of Africa and Asia and South America. Some of these pastors who are getting advanced academic training, and there's some just brilliant material being written, theology and and application, and it's, it's marvelous. That being said, 95% of the pastors in the world will never get that kind of training. So what we've really discovered is almost back to first century modeling. We've adopted the model of the Apostle Paul in the first century, really understanding that he served cross-culturally, Uh, We tend to focus on Jews and Gentiles for Paul, but he went from place to place to place where they spoke different languages. They had different cultural backgrounds, different tribal religious backgrounds, just like we're seeing in the 21st century. So he would go and spend time with people. He would teach what scripture says. And then Timothy is the prime example of this. Paul went, planted a church in Timothy's hometown, Somewhere along the line, Timothy came to Christ. People recognized leadership in him. Paul came back, picked him up, and then began to train Timothy, but not just one-on-one. Timothy became the pastor and the delegate and Paul's representative in home churches around Asia and Asia Minor. And so what we're doing is something similar. We're taking what we've learned from Paul— He wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, what we're now, in our ministry, we're calling our Timothy program. That's not unique to us. There's others who do similar kinds of things based on Paul's instruction. But the the instruction is, Timothy, the things that you know, the things that I have taught you, says Paul, you need to find reliable leaders who will in turn find reliable leaders. That becomes then the non-formal basis for what we're doing. We go to a place, we introduce pastors and Christian leaders to something about Christian leadership or more often at this point, Scripture. What does the book of Ephesians teach us? Then we don't spend all of our time teaching a few people. What we do is we introduce them to Scripture, remembering that these are godly mature men and women just without a lot of educational background, They have the same Holy Spirit we do. They just don't have the biblical training. So we introduce them to a book of the Bible and introduce them to a model of group facilitation. Each person that's part of one of our seminars then is responsible to go begin a group of 10 other leaders in their area. Take the same material they have now seen and spend three months digging into scripture around that Bible book with 10 other leaders. Each of those 10 is responsible to do the same thing. Uh, and so it's very non-formal. There's not degrees and there's not testing. That's, that's for the seminaries and the Bible colleges, not for non-formal. Using that model, we can work with one person who then works with 10, who works with 100, and the growth is then exponential under the guidance of the Holy Spirit.
1: If 50,000 people are coming to Christ every day, and that requires a thousand new pastors every day, we need an exponential model of equipping pastors and church leaders to meet the need of what God is doing around the world. We're just trying to partner with him and ensure that that discipleship and that follow-up can happen. So that not only are people coming to Christ, but they're also growing in their relationship with Christ. They're growing in an understanding of scripture, ultimately being equipped then themselves to go out and share the gospel.
0: Exactly. One of the things that we're seeing, as you just just alluded to, is the gospel is there. People are accepting the gospel. They're recognizing who Christ is and turning to him in staggering numbers around the world. But then they don't know what to do with it. Most of the time, these are first-generation Christians. They grew up in either totally secular or often with a tribal religious background. So now that they're followers of Christ, they don't know what to do with it. And even the pastors now, they don't know either. They know they love Jesus. They know that their faith is in Jesus. And they haven't read the Bible, much less gone to some kind of school. So by helping them understand Scripture themselves, they then are positioned to train other pastors, but also to disciple their own congregations. We remember the Great Commission isn't just, go make sure people are saved. That's part A. Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. The mission does not stop when someone accepts Christ. The mission continues as these people are discipled and grow in their faith and then continue to propagate that faith in ever-increasing circles. And so that's one of the things that we're working on now is to help with the discipleship part of things.
1: You know, one of the things that's really wonderful for me to hear as we're having this conversation Mm. is that you have a really, really deep and I think well-earned respect for these pastors in the Global South who so quickly and sacrificially are stepping into these positions, sometimes, even oftentimes, without much training or equipping. And what I appreciate about you is that you are so respectful of and admiring of these pastors and these church leaders in the global South, many of whom you get to meet on the trips that you go on. And so are there any particular stories that you think of where something that one of these pastors or church leaders have done or said or shared with you that has really just moved you and shaken you and left an impact on you, just stories of sort of what these church leaders and pastors in the global South are doing and how they're serving and leading?
0: One of our very first trips to train pastors was a trip to Haiti. And They had not been doing pastor training there. This was kind of a new thing when someone realized there were all these pastors that had no understanding of Scripture. So they invited us to come and do some training, and they sent the word out, and about 40 pastors were invited. We we started our training, did a five-day training, started it on Monday. So one of the pastors in the hills up in northern Haiti preached his message on Sunday morning, fulfilled his obligations as a pastor for his church, and then started walking to the location that we were going to do the training. It got to be night, it turned dark, and he realized he was not going to get to the training site, so he simply lay down on the side of the road and slept there until he woke up in the morning and finished the walk, got to the place where where we were doing our seminar, he was dehydrated. He was tired. He was sick. Fortunately, one of the missionaries that was there was a physician, went, took care of him, got him rehydrated. He was so excited to be able to participate in that training. Just amazing. He had a big, amazing, joyful smile. That was cool. Another, uh, another story happened just on my last trip to Kenya a couple of months ago. Uh, was was talking with a pastor. And of course, while we're not staying in five-star hotels when we travel, I know on a daily basis that I'm going to have a bed to sleep in that night and I'm going to have something to eat for supper, even if it's because I threw a granola bar in my backpack. I met with this guy after we, we'd done a full day of training with his pastor as he wanted to sit. And so as part of the conversation while we were sitting debriefing the day, he's one of the leaders of this group, He mentioned he didn't have money for supper, nor did he have money to stay anywhere that night. We weren't in his hometown. One of his pastors, the people he leads, needed some food. So he gave his pastor friend all of his money. And then after the fact, realized in his generosity and his hospitality, he had given his money away. Now he couldn't eat. It's that kind of they don't have financial margin, they will, they will walk for two days and sleep on the side of the road. When they do have some finances, they'll often give it to somebody else who needs it and then realize after the fact they don't have any now either. So there's this level of, of commitment and personal sacrifice that just, those are two of story after story after story where they just, they are all in for the cause of Christ and they will sacrifice everything to make it work. The other end of the spectrum that gets us going, I've not met this man uh, personally. We got got a Facebook message. We do a lot of our ministry on Facebook and with Facebook messaging, and we got a Facebook message from a pastor in northern India. And often what happens around the world is there's a pastor who will challenge his congregation to take the gospel to their home village. Their congregation actually does that. Then that person becomes the new default pastor. So this initial pastor messages me and says i have 40 churches under my care now he'd basically 40 people that he'd worked with had gone and planted a church he said these 40 pastors are biblically illiterate can you come help us we get messages like that from all over the world we've got pastors they're incredible godly men and women of god and they don't know their bibles they're just out there pastoring, doing their best. can you come help uh, and that's then when we can bring in our our non formal approach to self discovery as they learn that they can understand scripture under the power of the Holy Spirit and the Timothy groups where they can then go and together facilitate learning in a group of ten or twelve and it's It's an amazing thing to watch it work,
1: yeah, I want to talk now about the Timothy program, you mentioned it a little bit. It's this model of training individuals who can be trusted with knowledge and wisdom and scripture to then go out and train more individuals. So this exponential pattern of training and equipping pastors, what are the steps that you take to sort of initiate that program, that model, Mm -hmm. get that going? You know, let's say somebody messages you in Northern India and you're ready You're going to go and start one of these Timothy groups and all of a sudden over time see exponential growth in northern India as an example. What steps does it take to get there?
0: So for us, almost always, not always, there's some exceptions, but it starts on Facebook. One of the things that we have realized is pastors around the world do not have access to training in a 21st century technological twist of irony. They do have access to Facebook. Facebook is everywhere. Facebook is free. And you don't have to be highly educated to use Facebook. So we get thousands of people from around the world following us on Facebook. They like, then they comment, then they start sending messages to us, at which point I start interacting via Facebook Messenger. Part of that is just... We're developing a relationship. Often what will happen is a quick, hi, how are you, who are you relationship develops into they start asking questions about faith or about church or about leadership, which then may lead me to realize it's like this pastor with 40 40 churches under his care. So what we do is we look for existing organizations, Uh, 21C International is not trying to plant churches. We're not building schools. We're not instituting new organizations. We're coming alongside to support existing organizations that simply need better training for their pastors. So we look first for organizational leaders, people who have infrastructure, who have leadership and accountability and authorities and communication mechanisms already in place we will then start pursuing a relationship with them to see where it goes. Once we find someone that we think has the right personal godly characteristics, has an organization that has enough structure to sustain this kind of thing, then one of us will actually travel there and spend a few days getting to know them. Sometimes we'll do a little training while we're doing it. Sometimes we'll just go and spend time. We'll have tea with them. We'll walk around, drive around, see what there is to see. But the point is to develop a relationship. If that relationship pans out and it's the right organization to work with, then we will go back there. They will organize seminars. They will identify their key leaders and they will tell us where it will be most helpful for us to visit. We'll go in under their authority to work with their pastors live. So we'll go, we'll do some live training. We will then obviously come back to the States. In our case, we have one trainer who lives in Brazil right now. For the next three months or so, our continued relationship is via the internet. We use Zoom a lot. uh, We use WhatsApp a lot. And we stay in contact once or twice a week with our key leaders, the, the organizational leaders, And then about once a month with those who are facilitating groups, we'll host a meeting just to stay in touch, just to help further the equipping, just to share best practices. Then we revisit the same places. Back to a point I made earlier, it's about personal relationships. So we don't breeze in, do a seminar, feel good about ourselves and leave again and hope something nice happens. We commit to staying with an organization and working with that organization over the course of multiple years.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned there the importance of partnering with organizations in these local areas, in these regions. And so, as we're on the subject of partnering with other organizations, I want to step back a little bit and talk about sort of what's happening and what you're seeing outside of 21C. So, outside of the non-formal training that you guys are bringing to pastors, what else are you seeing? What other approaches to the growth of the church around the world are you seeing what other problems are being solved what other things are organizations doing that are really exciting to you i
0: think one of the exciting things is happening kind of across the board is an in slowly but increasing awareness that this is the primary need within the the global christian community training pastors is the primary thing. There's lots of other stuff that needs to happen. There's there's all of the social welfare and justice issues from hospitals to legal things in areas where there's persecution to schooling to all kinds of great things that are happening and are necessary. And a lot of churches in America right now in particular, but I think Western churches, are shifting from kind of a traditional let's go share the gospel to more of a let's go be the gospel let's let's address issues of uh social needs one of the one of the things that's kind of almost a almost a commonality now is let's go bring pure drinking water so many places in the world don't have clean water so one of the th- really cool things the church is doing Broadly is it's going to help with some of the physical, emotional, economic needs that are out there. That's not totally new. There just seems to be a resurgence of awareness of our responsibility as believers, not just to simply share the gospel and leave but to bring the gospel in all of its depth and richness. There are several other kinds of approaches that seem to be taking place. One is, is an increasing resurgence in traditional Bible college, looking as we are in the US, looking for ways to use technology, use, looking for ways to more effectively reach those who are ready for education. So there's there's distance education, online learning kinds of things that are growing there's increasing numbers of smaller bible colleges that are popping up all over the world still doing the traditional diploma kind of approach but smaller more localized more accessible to more people in that area there's also a growth of extension sites uh, one of the seminaries that we've worked with in Uganda is doing that they're they're sending their professors farther out into the rural areas Two lead seminary courses five or six days at a time. That's helping, and it's hugely needed. This is the seminary I mentioned earlier with a friend who heads it who has already said, this is desperately needed, but not everyone can succeed. You, You still have to read and write at a high level to take college courses. Most pastors can't. Another thing that we're seeing growing is the idea of pastors discipling pastors. Western pastors with training and experience, who are finding ways to partner—usually one on one, sometimes one on three or four—so that the pastor in the U.S. is developing a mentoring and discipleship relationship with a pastor internationally. Then, of course, there is still some traditional missions that are that are out there that are needed. Uh, we have a friend who runs a ministry that goes into the absolute most remote, unreached parts of the world where they still are working on written languages. And this ministry goes and stays long-term, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, as they introduce not just scripture, but literacy. Some of these places, they have to start still writing a biblical language. That's one of the key approaches that Westerners are still using that we have a unique skill set in Having said that, one of the cool things that's happening globally is the national pastors are reaching the unreached people groups. Africa is a good example. Uh, we we began in Kenya with the work that we're doing. I got a Facebook message with a picture. We just took what you taught us, and we're now doing it in the in the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. I didn't have to go there. That's a difficult place for Western missions. It's a difficult place for anybody. But it borders Kenya. So the Kenyans that went to our training, they simply crossed the border and imported it. And they're now reaching the unreached people groups. So the better, from our perspective at this point, at least as God's called us, the more we can encourage and equip the national pastors the more aggressively the more quickly and the more effectively they will be able to reach the unreached people groups with the gospel uh, our our primary purpose is training pastors but that en- enables them to take the gospel and continue to expand it
1: you know it's incredible to see what the holy spirit is doing to build up his church the creativity and the tenacity of the church led by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's really great to witness. It's awesome to see what these organizations are doing, what these pastors are doing, really what God is doing through all of these different parts of, of his church. Yeah,
0: it's fun to be able to interact with these pastors and to travel internationally and, and to see what God is doing around the world. Sometimes in, in America, we look at, declining church attendance and, and increasing apathy and, you know, all of the issues that we're struggling with in our church and in our culture and fail to realize that, one, God is still God and it's still his church and he's still doing good things, even here in America. But to look outside of our own selves and see what he's doing around the world, is it's it's incredible to be reminded that it's God's church and he's making it happen.
1: So earlier, you mentioned a trip to Haiti. You shared an anecdote about a pastor who made it there by walking a couple of days, even overnight, to get to this seminar. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm not mistaken, that actually that story actually plays a really significant role in sort of the trajectory of 21C. And I'm excited because next week in the next episode of On the Move, we're going to be talking with your wife and co-founder, Leanne White, also the host of On the Move, who I think we're gonna talk more with her about that particular trip, which definitely played a big role in the trajectory of 21C International, even her role in 21C. And so in our next episode, we're gonna have that conversation. But as we come to the end of our time together for this episode, do you have any last comments or thoughts? So, anything that you'd like to leave off with that we didn't quite get to that you would like to finish this episode with? You know, just I'm reminded as
0: we've we've talked here, while the excitement, if you will, this staggering growth of the kingdom of God is taking place in the global south, the church in America is still uniquely positioned to make that happen. Much of what's happening now is happening after decades of aggressive missionary efforts, and this is some of the result where the gospel has taken root and it's thriving and it's growing. And while I think the church in America, our missions is shifting in its overall orientation, we are still uniquely positioned to support the work of God's kingdom around the world just because of the resources that we have, the churches we have, the leaders we have, uh, the ability we have to pray for the kingdom. Uh, it. The opportunity is amazing, and it's an exciting time to be a part of the church.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global south by providing free, informal biblical and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world.